Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 203. I think right off the bat, we should shout out the Patreoners. Woohoo, woohoo. What? <laughs> woo, woo. No, it was. <laughs> I went through puberty. Yeah, 100. <laughs> Also, that is my new saying. It's not new, but it, like, I was like, "Did you make that up?" No. Okay, boomer. No, I didn't. But it's like out of control. Like you know how when you you've said something and then all of a sudden you realize that you say it for everything. Uh-huh. Gotta stop. But what doesn't have to stop is Alex Z from Ohio, <laughs> Corinne L from Ohio, Donna R from the UK. Love your name, Felix W from Germany. Okay, Allison G. from Minnesota. And Sharon H. from Ohio. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out, an extra bonus episode a freaking week, and access to an extra special secret Facebook group where we go live once a month for all the shenanigans, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Oh, and phone backgrounds. They're all the rage. 100. She makes them all. I don't. I'm as creative <laughs> as a stump. Well, in our neck of the woods, Colby had to get a new freaking truck because his truck bit the fucking dust. He said when he got this new to us truck, it was not a brand new truck, but when he got it, he said the first time that he, because we, we got it in Jackson, Mississippi, because my cousin's husband was the dealer or whatever. He said that when we were on the way home from Jackson, the first time he came to a stoplight, he thought the truck went dead because it was so quiet oh, when he stopped. He was like, I'm so used to my other one shaking that like, yeah. I thought this one went dead. Dang. And it's just like normal. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Can you tell me why we would go long distances in his truck when it was that bad? Because it wasn't that bad up until probably the last like three or six months. Three or six. We went... Over to wherever that is in Mississippi. Two hours away, ma'am. It wasn't two hours. And now we were fine. Uh huh. Did you die? No. Oh, and by the by, he got a Tundra, a Toyota Tundra, just because I would be like, well, what'd he get if I was listening to that? Yeah. I'd be like, tell me. So now we both have Toyotas. He said, we're both going to be in Yodas. Oh, God. (laughs) It's just so funny, too, because literally almost every single time Colby's on a shutdown, something happens to his truck. That really? has to be fixed. Yes. And guess what? He's on a shutdown when mm-hmm. it was like really bad. Like no more. Can't put it off anymore. Like. Yeah. It's time. Simba. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It is time. Well, look, he's got a new truck. He's feeling himself. And guess what? I got new skin care. I, I got some wrinkles. <laughs> look, I go to the dermatologist all the freaking time for my sensitive skin and my issues that we still don't know what the fuck is up. But because I'm there for like a different reason, I don't really have time to be like, oh, also about my wrinkles. Because mm-hmm. we're like, no, no, no. Let's focus on this other issue. Well, you know, 20 other issues than wrinkles. So with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode of the podcast, I was able to talk to them one-on-one about my skincare issues, you know, on my face because I'm single. It's almost Valentine's Day. I'm trying to get a date. Trying to get a nut. So what's up? Oh, damn. Like Donna said, it's so freaking easy. You just go online. You fill out this quiz all about your skin. Take a picture. If y'all listened to last week, y'all know that we said our pictures were rough. Terrible. Rough. (laughs) But that dermatologist looked at them, looked at our quiz. 
then we got to do one-on-one phone call with the board certified dermatologist to see what our issues were. Mine's fucking rosacea. We all know Colby and I just got engaged and I'm trying to get this shit handled before the wedding. I don't want to be looking beet red with my wrinkles with my freaking acne that I got going on right now. (laughs) So I'm trying to get this stuff handled. And it's completely tailored to you. So what Donna has is completely different than what I have Mm -hmm. because we have different needs. Donna doesn't have any acne. I look like I'm a preteen. Hey, I want to look like a preteen with no wrinkles. And if you get apostrophe, yours will be completely different too based on your specific and unique needs. Also, when you get it, it gives you the directions and everything. It's super simple to incorporate in your routine. And it's seriously like a pea size. For my big face, a pea size works. So we have a special deal for everyone listening. If you want to save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider, head on over to apostrophe.com slash creep. And then you use the code creep. This code is only available to y'all. I mean, do y'all feel special? Because I feel special. And we want your skin to feel special. Like Carrie said, to get started, it's really easy. Go to apostrophe.com forward slash creep to begin the visit. Literally, it says begin visit. You click it and then you use the code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. And who doesn't love a deal? So head on over to apostrophe. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. And then use the word creep to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. And when y'all do, let us know. Let us know. So y'all know how I do. Someone sent in a recommendation this week. So thank you, Mimi K in the Creepinati Facebook group. You know, that uh, private one that uh, only people in the Creepinati can be in that I mentioned earlier. She sent it in on a little post. And so here we are with this fucking shit show of a story. In the best true crime podcast way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the best way to tell this story because it's Donna's favorite. So I was like, how can I keep her enthralled? But when you've got a serial killer like this, you just... I know, I know. But I'm telling you, this one's different. Okay. It's good. It's good. I mean, Mm -hmm. and again, in the worst possible fucking way. So I'm just going to start from the beginning because already, spoiler alert, I said it was a serial killer. So let's start with their childhood. So we're talking about Jesse Pomeroy. So Jesse Pomeroy was born November 29th, 1858. Oh, shit. So I I know I was like... Donna's going to hate this story. A serial killer. And it's like an older story. I like old stories. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like you don't know me at all. (laughs) Okay, so he was born to Thomas and Anne Pomeroy. And he had a fucking rough childhood, as do most serial killers. He got bullied a lot at school. Because he had an older brother named Charles. And it said that his older brother even though he went to the same school, didn't really stick up for him much. But, okay, so there was only like one article I found that said that they think that Jesse had a developmental disability. I don't really think that's accurate, just based on like the story and all. And I think that that um, just kind of perpetuates this fear of people with disabilities around kids. But what Jesse did have were some physical characteristics that were outside of the norm, and that's what caused him to get bullied. Jesse was born with a cleft palate. A lot of stuff calls it a hair lip in this, Ugh. but I don't know if that's... I don't know. I, I don't think that that's whatever. PC. 
Yeah, but the pictures that I saw of him, like, I didn't notice that about his picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, when I was looking at his picture, I literally forgot that detail because I didn't see it. But nothing else, like, nothing said that he had had surgery on it, so I don't know how noticeable it was. Right, because there's definitely different degrees of them. For sure. In addition to the cleft palate, it said that he had, like, an abnormally large head and ears. You, you feeling uh, attacked over there, Donna? <laughs> I wish y'all could see her face. Her face was like, like kind of want to smile, but kind of pissed at me at the same time. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know how I was talking about my wrinkles earlier? Mm-hmm. I also always talk about my freaking large ears, even though I can't hear better with them. Well, I had a dick appointment this past weekend, and... Uh, I said something and he was like, you don't have wrinkles. And I was like, okay. I mean, maybe apostrophe is working for me, right? But also he said, you don't have big ears. I was like, okay, okay. you need your eyes checked. I was like, well, I guess they are proportionate to my big head, but whatever. Uh, flattery will get you all the way in her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just so funny. I was like, oh, okay, maybe like, maybe my wrinkles aren't that bad on my forehead. And then he said that. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. He's just buttered you up. Man. Yeah. I mean, we use different kind of lube. <laughs> Back to the story. I literally have no words for that. That was good. That was really good. I literally had no words. Okay, let's go back to Jesse. Jesse was also tall and thin for his age. So tall, thin, with an abnormally large head. Also, he had this white eye. Like a completely white eye? So some stuff calls it like a marble eye, like it had like kind of looked marbly. So his mom says that it's from a smallpox vaccine, like it's a side effect. But other stuff said it was from a virus that he had when he was a kid. And so it was like basically like a really big cataract on that eye. Oh, bless it. So they lived in the Boston area, like South Boston in kind of a lower income area. But his dad worked like at a shipyard and... He was a bit... A shipyard. Exactly. That, which is a beer up there. <laughs> and his dad was um, a bit of an alcoholic. His dad would take out all of his drunken anger on the kids, on Charles and Jesse. Oh, gosh. When he would beat them, he would take the boys to the outhouse, make them strip down naked tie their hands up to like a beam overhead and then beat them with a whip. That is terrible. One, you don't have to take me to the outhouse. I'm sure it doesn't smell great. Secondly, any outhouse I've ever seen has not been that big. Yeah, I don't really know how he did that either. Unless he just kind of stood outside of it and had them in there. But what you'll see happen is that the same beatings that Jesse endured ended up, he like carried those over to his victims because what happened was he started equating the beatings with his, like sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because we, we've seen in the past with sexual sadists and all, let me pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but where they will attach discipline, air quotes around discipline, like corporal punishment with sexual gratification. And then when they go to take it out on their abusers, that's how they get their sexual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really interesting that for him, one, he was stripped naked. So of course that brings about one more humiliation to him as a child, but two, it does put like a sexual component in there for him. 
but three, that it is in the outhouse. And I just remember when I was in OT school, I did one of my field works at the Tampa Bay Crisis Center. And with one of the counselors, we were talking about how when kids experience physical abuse around potty training, like they had an accident and then you spank them or, you know, things like that. They, they're playing with their stool and you spank them, you know, if it's like stuff like that happens. I'm sorry. I thought you meant a step stool to get on the toilet. And then I learned like, while I was thinking about that. No, no, no. You mean their stool. Right. Their excretion. Go ahead. But some of that happens. I'm not trying to kink shame, but that's why sometimes why you'll see people have kinks for like scat play, water sports, aka golden showers, you know, all of that. Like it's, it becomes sexualized because it involves their genitalia. I just think it's an interesting correlation that it became a sexual thing for him. One, because he was made to strip down from his clothes. And two, he was in the outhouse. And anytime, again, you have discipline around genitalia, there can be that miscommunication and overlap from sexual satisfaction and normal bodily processes. Yeah. So for the next part, and let's just say for the rest of the story, I'm going to go ahead and do content warnings that the story, the next part does involve animals and the entirety of the story involves children. Around the age five, Jesse was actually found torturing the neighbor's cat. Oh my gosh. And then his mom's bird dies mysteriously. And then the neighbor's cat dies. And by the age of 10, even though Jesse's mom does not believe and says that, like, it's not Jesse doing this, even though, again, he's literally been caught torturing the neighbor's cat. And she's like, no, it's not him. Um, ma'am, yes, it is. So even though she's a staunch believer that it is not him, the family stops getting pets. Wow. Eventually, Jesse moved on from animals to humans. Around Christmas Day of 1871, there were two men next to this creek in South Boston, and there was this little cabin, and they heard this, like, whimpering cry, and they thought, like, some sort of animal that's hurt, like, let's go see what it is, and when they get closer to the cries, they realize that, no, this is not an animal. This is a human, And when they get there, walk into the building, and this cabin's like, they describe it almost like the size of an outhouse. When they get in, they see a four-year-old. Oh my gosh. His name was Billy Payne. And he was, I'm sorry, y'all, this is a lot, but he was hanging by his wrists from a rope on the beam, exactly the way Jesse was beaten by his own father. Mm -hmm. He was barely conscious and half naked. He was starting to turn blue in the lips and all because he was so cold. Because remember, it's Christmas in Boston. Yeah. His hands are purple from the blood draining from his hands. And he had been beaten. They said that he was covered in welts like all over his back. Billy couldn't really tell police what happened to him. One, he's fucking four. And two, he was basically beaten unconscious. Yeah. So keep in mind, too, that at this point, Jesse is 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. 
I really feel like I have heard his name before. Uh, the, the last name Pomeroy isn't uncommon, I feel like. Yeah. So in February of 1872, Jesse strikes again. What Jesse would do is he would lure the victims with promises of all kinds of things like candy, toys, I mean, anything, because he's a kid luring kids. Yeah, there's not that stranger danger really with him because he's another kid. And especially in 1870. Right. Nobody even knew what a serial killer was, much less a fucking 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So in February of 1872, Tracy Hayden was lured by Jesse because he said that they were going to see soldiers. I mean, that would get me too. You do love a man in uniform. I do. Dog tags, everything. Mm-hmm. As soon as they got to a secluded area, Jesse did the same thing that he had previously done to Billy. He had beaten Tracy Hayden so much that his eyes were black and blue. He had broken his nose and even knocked out Tracy's front teeth. (gasps) That's got to be a hard hit. Yes. Tracy was stripped of his clothes, just like Billy, and had been beaten with a switch that left like really deep welts. But Tracy was able to tell police a little bit. But here's the thing. He was terrified because whoever had done this to him, aka Jesse, threatened to cut his penis off if he told. Oh my gosh. So he, I mean, hello, he had already been abused significantly. So Tracy did tell police that the person who did this to him had brown hair. I just think it's so interesting that with all these victims that he has that that remain alive none of them can identify some of these like clear physical traits of his then a couple of months later jesse attacks again this time jesse takes eight-year-old robert meyer and promises him that he was going to take him to the circus instead he takes him to a secluded spot and again does the exact same thing but this time jesse told robert to repeat I think it was the Lord's Prayer with some cuss words in it. And the kid was like, I'm not going to do that. And that was just like part of what he wanted me to do. Like repeat the Lord's Prayer and change some of the words to cuss words. Yeah. Again, it's 1870. Yeah. What in the Mad Libs is going on here? Well, the kid was like, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not, you know, I refuse to do it. Mm -hmm. But this time... As Jesse was beating Robert, he was masturbating like to completion this oh, time. Gosh. He did let Robert go. However, he threatened to kill him if he told anybody. So at this point, there have been three young boys that have been attacked in the area. And so parents are in a fucking uproar. They're like, something has to be done. You have to figure out what's going on, all the things. And you're starting to get like vigilante types happening. They have nothing to go on though. Well, and for some reason, the description got changed from someone with brown hair. They had a devilish appearance and red hair with a wispy red beard. What? You know how we've done stories, or I know I have done stories in the past when it was like in this time frame or maybe even a little bit sooner where they would give descriptions of an assailant that weren't necessarily right. Like it would be like a a rumor like this that got started where it would be like a stereotypical description of someone from another country or whatever. Mm. And so the story that I did before, they I think they described them, again, the stereotypical, it's terrible, but like 
as like a Jewish person. Yes, yeah. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. And I think with this, it's almost like they're describing like a classic Irish person, like wispy, you know, red hair and the beard and all that. And I'm wondering if that had something to do with in the area, was it more like... It was, it was high Irish. I think so too, but I'm like, or was it maybe a more like, I'm making this part up, but like an Italian part of town and they were like, yeah. oh, it was definitely the Irish guy. You yeah, know what I mean? So yeah. like, was that description more because of some racial diversity mm-hmm. issues happening in Boston right then. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I know I described that really terribly, but you understand I what I'm it. saying, I right? got it. So then in July of 1872, there was another seven-year-old boy that Jesse took to the same outhouse on this Powderhorn Hill, which is where he did most of his attacks. So he had promised this boy that he would give him two bits for helping him run errands. And then same thing, stripped, beaten, bound, then the same thing, threatening to kill him if he told. So now we've still got the vigilantes going. And at this point, they've offered up a $500 reward. Fuck. Which I I looked it up and I think it was like $10,000 in current money. Dang. So vigilantes are like parole in the streets trying to figure out mm-hmm. who this is. And they, like you said a second ago, literally have no fucking clue. Like they're looking for the wrong person if yeah. they're basing it on the description in which they've been given. So after this last attack, Jesse's mom, Ruth Ann, I know I said Ann earlier, and I think that's what she goes by, but some stuff's just said Ruth. But anyway, she and the dad got a divorce. One podcast I listened to said that um, she had seen the father like beating Jesse and Charles, and that's why she was like, uh, get the fuck out. Some stuff said that he had died, and they weren't sure whether or not he died before or after the divorce, um, or if she just said he had died so that it's not 1870-something, and she's divorced with two kids. Right. So... Who knows if he was really dead? Either way, they moved to a less expensive part of town because they were in like a little bit of like a middle class area. And then they moved like more South Boston. Not that I really understand all of that geograph- <laughs> ge- geography is what I almost said. <laughs> geography. But that's just what they say on the articles I had read. So now it's just her and the kids. Also, a couple of things said that they think that she actually moved them because she suspected him of the attacks i was about to say "Mm." and she is one of his biggest supporters throughout everything so it's possible but it's i feel like a little more likely that she couldn't afford where she was living because now it was just her yeah but also i feel like she would have known that he beat the kids at some point for sure. Through that whole thing. So it's not like it just happened. You know, like she just found out. Right. So even if it wasn't that, I mean, she could have just gotten tired of his abuse and his mm-hmm. um, substance abuse. You know, right. I mean, it, it could have been just like, I'm done with this, you know. Right. Sorry. Going back to her being his biggest supporter. But she also denied he did anything to the animals, too. Exactly. She she could not see the error of his ways. Like, she could not. She wasn't. She wasn't capable, I don't think. Because, I mean, what mother would want to, you know? So, in this new area, seven-year-old George Pratt was walking along the shoreline looking for buried treasure. 
when Jesse came up to him and just like before said, hey, I'll give you 25 cents if you help me run errands. And like, uh, this is so pure that I feel like it has to be mentioned that like a couple of articles talked about how um, George Pratt was like, man, I can buy a lot of candy with 25 cents. I was literally going to say you would do that because you could buy your gumball. Yes. That girl loves a gumball. So this time when Jesse is attacking George, he actually takes a bite out of George's cheek. Oh. And tears his skin Uh -uh. with his fingernails. Yeah. And then takes a sewing needle and stabs him like over and over again. No. What in the saw is going on? Well, then he tries to take the needle and pry George's eyelids open. Okay, okay, okay. But George rolled over and stopped it, and then he bit a hunk out of George's butt. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is like serious torture, even coming from an adult. Yes. He is 12. Uh Uh-uh. The next assault was on a six-year-old named Harry Austin. But this time, he didn't just beat him. He actually took out a knife and stabbed him underneath both arms. Oh, gosh. When Harry was rolling around, like, writhing in pain, Jesse tried to cut off his penis. What? But something distracted Jesse before he was able to finish, and he took off running. After Harry was attacked, he then got seven-year-old Joseph Kennedy and attacked him with a knife. And this time, because they were close to the water, put the salt water in his wounds. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Then, just six days after he attacked Harry Austin... He took Robert Gold, who was only five years old, by the by, and he was like, hey, let's go look at some soldiers, just like before. And then when he got him alone, same thing, stripped him and beat him and then slashed his head with a knife. He was just about to cut Robert's throat when a railroad worker. Okay. When a railroad worker came up and like caught caught them basically like not caught him but I guess disturbed him I guess I should yeah. say so the railroad worker walked up disturbed him and Robert was the first one that was able to actually describe Jesse wow he said that Jesse was a large boy with an eye like a white marble like I understand like if someone didn't see that his ears were big his head was large whatever but that eye I know I know Well, Robert and Joseph Kennedy were like, hey, if we see him, we'll know it. So the police actually took Joseph Kennedy with them to the schools to like look to see, hey, do you recognize this kid? Well, when they went into Jesse's classroom, old boy like put his head down. Uh Uh-huh. And nobody was like, hold your fucking head up. Oh, my God. So he was like. Literally went into the classroom with Jesse and did not know that was him. Wow. Because based on Robert's description, they knew that it was a kid. Yeah. Which is like, holy fucking shit of a revelation that this is a child. Right. So, okay. After school that day, fucking Jesse thought that he was like, I got away with this. I'm going to go check in at the police station and see if they know anything. Um, Sir? Yeah. Sir. So, I know. 
So he did, after school, went up to the police station. And when he went, Joseph Kennedy just happened to still be outside of the police station. Oh, shit. And was like, hey, hey, there he is. Yeah. So Jesse takes off fucking running. The cops catch him. Because he's a kid. Exactly. So they bring him back. They start questioning. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So they lock him up in a cell for a while. And at like midnight that night. So I'm picturing like three o'clock, you know, after school. Right. And they interrogate him, like I said, like an hour or so. And so then they just lock him in a cell, let him kind of sit on it for a little while. It's 1872. There are no rules. Right. And so at about midnight, they bring him back out, start questioning him again. And they're like, we gonna call your mama. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> again, he's a kid. Yeah. But they also threatened him with, you're going to be in jail for a hundred years. Yeah. He confessed to everything. Long story short, they ended up sending him to reform school. Oh, Lord. Like, cause at first he was like, I did it. And then he was like, I didn't do it. And then he finally was like, I just couldn't help myself. So they, again, they sentenced him to this reform school until he was 18. Oh my gosh. While he was in the reform school, he did all the things. He was like, I'm going to be so fucking good. I'm going to get out this bitch early. Uh Uh-huh. He was smart. Again, dumb, but smart. Like he knows how to play the system, which most serial killers do. Yep. Exactly. Well, at first they had him a little bit of like a, a more like laborious job. And he was like, I'm getting headaches. And they were like, oh shit, we don't want to fuck up his eye anymore. So they took him off of that and made him a hall monitor. Oh my God. Yes. He was in the chair shop. I mean, how hard could that have been? You're putting chairs together. Well, I mean, I've done some furniture from Target that wasn't so easy, but you get the point. Then he became the hall monitor. Which one of the podcasts I was listening to was like, uh, so you took a kid that had been bullied his whole life and you put him in like the most bullied position at a school. Right. Well, his mom was, again, his biggest fucking fan. And she was sending all the letters to all the people to try to get him out of the reform school. Did, did you not hear the part that he confessed? Well, she's like, he's innocent. He didn't do this. You arrested the wrong person. So Jesse was only in the reform school for less than a year and a half. What? And then he was released. Free? Free. He had to work at his mom's store and on his brother's paper route. Like that was like the contingencies. Okay. Okay. But before you get too mad at Jesse... We've got Care Of back again this week. <laughs> back again. Check it to wreck it. Okay, let's just go. Party on party people. <laughs> Touche. Because look, I'm trying to party on with people. I'm trying to have some fucking energy. I'm trying to get my shit right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we went on to TakeCareOf.com and we took their little quiz. Super short, super easy. And it asks you like, what are your goals? What you got going on? You know, personalizes it to you. And you can retake the quiz later on. So if, you know, you're doing this and then it's like, oh, actually, I don't want to change my goals to this. You can go on, retake it, and they can personalize that to what you're doing now. Absolutely. So maybe you're like, I want to focus more on my joint health. And then you're like, you know what? I really need to do my immune or, hey, I'm pregnant now or whatever. You know, you, you can retake the quiz and change your vitamin routine up. One of the things I love the most is, okay, so it comes in like this cardboard box. It's like a cylinder kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you just take out your little vitamin pack every single day. And it's got 
hi, Carrie. It's got your name on it. Or, well, you know, insert your name. Hi, baby, baby. And it'll have like a little quote of the day and you just rip those things open and take it. Yes. You know, I think you're low key a Leo because you do love personalized stuff. I like the extra step. Me too. If someone, if a company takes the extra step to like make me feel special or let me know that they care of their product. (laughs) See what I did there poorly. Anyway, I'm like, I'm fucking in this to win it. For sure. And then once that month is up, they just ship you next month. Right. That means subscription based and it ships straight to your house. You don't have to go anywhere, pick anything up. It comes to you after you take that quiz. And I can't reiterate it enough. It takes the guesswork out of getting your vitamins. Absolutely. And the little personalized packs we were telling you about, they're plant-based compostable film, which is a really hard word to say. Really? That's the hard word you have? Come on. She had her mouth ready to say the R word, knowing that it would just taunt me. Rural. (laughs) So if you want 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and use the promo code CREEP50. 50% off. That's half off. Even I know that math. And we all know numbers are not my thing. Yeah, you don't math well. So head over to Take Care Of. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F dot com and use promo code CREEP50. C-R-E-E-P-5-0. <laughs> like five o, like call to popo, huh? Oh, God. <laughs> so get this. On March 18th, 1874, six weeks after he was released from the reform school. He's working in his mom's dress shop. There was another boy. His name is Rudolph Kaur. He was working in the shop, like sweeping, doing all that, just kind of earning some spending money. So they're both working, shooting the shit. When a 10-year-old by the name of Katie Curran walks in and she asks, do y'all have notebooks like for sale? What kind of dress shop is this? I don't know. (laughs) And maybe it wasn't for sale. Maybe she just needed one. She was like, hey, can I have your book? Because she had a new teacher and she was super excited about going to school with this new teacher. But her mom had let her go out to get a new notebook. So I don't know. Maybe she just was young enough that she didn't know where to go get a notebook. But she was supposed to go back home that morning and walk her sister to school. So Jesse tells Katie, yeah, I got a notebook, but it's got a little ink spot on it. But I'll give it to you for two cents less. And she's like, I'm all about the fucking bargain. I'll take it. So Jesse tells Rudolph, hey, go to the butcher, get some scraps to feed the cats. Here's some change. So Rudolph leaves. Jesse tells Katie, hey, it's in the bookstore downstairs. Come with me. As soon as they get down the steps, Jesse puts his arm around Katie's neck, his hand over her mouth, and takes his knife and cuts her throat. Oh my gosh. He then dragged her to the closet and put some stones to cover the body. So this is the first time that Jesse's actually murdered someone. And attacked a girl. Exactly. So we find out later how bad Katie had been beaten. He had stabbed her abdomen and her genitals over and over and over. Oh my gosh. So after he moves her body, he hears his brother come in, washes his hands real quick, goes back upstairs, and finishes working like nothing fucking happened. Wow. Now, when Katie's supposed to be home, her family's like, what the fuck? And they start searching for her. Now, 
people know that Jesse has this history. Like, it's not this huge secret. But he had never done anything to a girl. Mm -hmm. So when Katie's mom goes to the police to talk to them and say, look, I sent her over to the Pomeroy store. They did this. You know, Jesse did this. The captain told her he was completely rehabilitated in the reform school. Oh, my God. He didn't hurt girls. He only attacked boys and was very patronizing to her mother. Wow. And basically was like, shoo, shoo, little woman. But even Rudolph was like, no, 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 no. Katie was there. Like, I saw her there. Yeah. Then the captain told Katie's mom that Rudolph is a known liar. Oh, my gosh. And But I'll send detectives over to the shop to look around. Don't worry. So the detective goes to the shop, but doesn't see anything because he has her body hidden so well. Also, um, what kind of check around is this? I, I mean, I really think he just, like, popped his head down in the basement. Uh-huh. Because, like, I mean, really, he got all that blood up? Yeah, right. Exactly. So, weeks had passed. And people thought that Katie's dad had just sent her off to a school without telling anybody. What the fuck? They yeah. can believe that, but they can't believe that Jesse had anything to do with it. Also, did no one smell this body? Precisely. Probably his mom. And she said, hmm, a new deodorant. <laughs> Ugh. Also, sorry, I'm just going back to this. Because, yeah, he is older now and whatever. But he is luring kids. It's not that he's this mastermind serial killer. He's luring kids. So for him to have like hid the body so well, had all of this, he's not that smart. He literally went to the police thinking he was going to get one over on him. I just don't think he, however, like, I feel like the closet's not that big. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the next victim was five-year-old Harry Field. So Jesse asked the kid if he knew where a street was. And the kid was like, yeah. And Jesse's like, cool, I'll give you five cents if you take me there. Which I know I've said this before. And I know at this point, Jesse's only like 15. 15, Yeah, yeah. 14, 15. So he's not an adult, but he's too much of an adult to be asking a five-year-old for directions. Mm -hmm. I know I've said this over and over and over again, but tell your kids that an adult will never need a child's help. Mm -hmm. So they walk hand in hand down the street. Jesse's got like a broom handle with him, which, I mean, again, you wonder why did Harry not think of that? But again, he's five fucking years old. Yeah. Well, and they say, like, walk tall, carry a big stick. That could have been to, like, fight off a random dog that's attacking. So, all of a sudden, when Harry asks for the nickel, Jesse, like, throws him into a doorway and, like, is like, keep your mouth shut. And they start walking through the streets so that Jesse can find a good spot to do what he does. Uh Well, all of a sudden, two boys that are about Jesse's age round the corner and they knew each other they have some words and an argument breaks out and harry like rips his hand from jesse's and takes the fuck off runs all the way home doesn't stop until he is in his mama's arms oh bless him basically this happenstance of a encounter saved harry's life yes so then in april of 1874 the millen family moved across the street from katie curran's family the millens had a four-year-old named horace that's one of those names you can never see a baby having like a kid having yeah that name old man sure 
Horace's mom gave him permission, gave him a little money money, and sent him to go to the bakery to pick up whatever. Well, on the way, unfortunately, Horace ran into Jesse. And Jesse was like, hey, I'll go with you. So Horace goes, buys a little cake. I don't know if that's what his mom sent him for, or he actually just bought himself a cake. Because also, a four-year-old just going off to the bakery by himself. I know. I don't trust anyone that but would, me with my bakery items, okay? Okay, but that would be like me sending Allie down the street to go buy me something. I know. Allie being my niece. <laughs> I mean, she just said a spaghetto instead of mosquito. Like, yeah. I ain't sending her to the fucking bakery for me. Mm-hmm. I ain't letting you spend my money when I want a snickerdoodle and you didn't get me a snickerdoodle. Yeah, they've literally probably sent him for a loaf of bread and he got a cake to share with this older boy mm-hmm. because he's four. Yeah. A couple of people saw them walking. I was going to say, when they see Jesse with a young kid, can they sound the fucking alarm? I know. I know. Well, Jesse took Horace off like this really remote railroad track surrounded by like marshy, swampy land, right? Long story short, they saw a couple of people. There were some hunters in the area. They saw a kid like digging for clams. But again, long story short, when they got to the area where Jesse wanted to be, he took out the same pocket knife that he had used to kill Katie and sliced Horace's throat. Oh my gosh. Well, at first, Horace didn't die. So he started stabbing him over and over and over. Oh my God, bless that little baby's heart. Well, Horace fucking fought back. Horace is fucking Hercules. Yes. Well, eventually after fighting back, Jesse ended up cutting his windpipe. (gasps) Oh, good. Then he continued to stab the body, focusing most of his rage on the genital area. Oh, fuck. He had no less than 18 stab wounds. Oh my gosh. The attack on Horace happened early, early afternoon. After about 4 p.m., that's when some kids found Horace's body. Oh gosh, bless their hearts. The kids thought he was a rag doll. Oh my gosh. So the kids called those duck hunters that had been out there to be like, come help us, who then went and got police. So the police were like, okay, this fits exactly the signature of Jesse. I mean, it was a young boy, tortured, all the things. Again, though, this is only the second victim now that has actually died. I wonder if Harry told his mom, you know. Had to. I mean, surely his mom was like, what's wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah. But you never know because kids don't want to get in trouble. Exactly. Because he probably thought like, well, I went with this kid. I wasn't supposed to. Uh Because that was the thing is that, you know, parents were starting to kind of do stranger danger of like, if someone wants you to go with them, like, don't go with them. Yeah. Well, the police went and picked Jesse up to ask them questions. I bet it wasn't that fucking police chief, though. I know. Because he was like, never in a million years would he do anything. Well, of course, Jesse's like, I know nothing. And they're like, well, where were you this big hunk of time today? And he's like, I know nothing. And they're like, where'd you get those scratches on your face? And he's like, I know nothing. They saw that Jesse had like the marsh grass in his shoes, had mud all over him. And... On the front of his shirt was like a reddish brown stain. So they're like, how you got that scratch? And he's like, shaving. Okay. And then they asked him if he owned a knife. And he's like, yeah. So they go to the house to find it. And it's got dirt and dried blood on it. Of course. Because he's a kid and he doesn't clean things. They found some shoe prints at the scene that they took like casts of. And they said that those matched Jesse's shoes. So long story short... 
He went to trial and after he was arrested, his mom basically lost everything. Like everybody was like so anti them that she had to shut down her store. Well, when she shut her store down. (gasps) Oh shit, Katie. Yes. The new tenants come in to like remodel everything and that's when they find Katie's body. Bless it. Oh, bless it. They tried to do some, like, an insane type thing. Like, does he actually have some sort of insanity or is he criminally insane? Which we know are different, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. The trial, it was awful because they said every single detail. Oh, god! So this was, I mean, you know, if you were in a trial nowadays with this, you would expect to hear that type of testimony. In 1870s, hearing that type of abuse on a child, mm-hmm. it just... I mean, you didn't have a true crime podcaster telling you all the shit like you do now. And the capital murder that they were charging him with, the only punishment is death. And so this was taken very, very seriously because it was a child. And at the time, he was 14 years old when he went to trial. So he was found guilty, and then it went to the governor to make the decision of should he be executed or not. Well, the guy coming in, like running for governor against him was like, I'm going to make sure he's put to death and yada, 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 you know, was Mm -hmm. making it a political thing. The governor at the time, William Gadsden, was like, I'm not executing a 14-year-old. Well, the guy running for governor, Rice, he ended up getting it. And what's so shitty is that his whole, like not his whole platform, but part of his platform was like, no, he's going to die. Well, two years after the trial, when all this is kind of said and done, this Rice guy's like, actually... Let's not kill him. Oh, my God. So this other governor basically lost re-election because of this. And then this motherfucker still didn't do it. Yeah. So I'm not saying anything about whether or not he should have been put to death. I'm saying this guy's whole platform mm-hmm. was a fucking lie. And he didn't even do what he said he was going to yeah. do. Hello, politics. Right. But what they did do was they commuted his death sentence to life in solitary confinement. Oh, shit. So while he was in solitary confinement, he learned like four languages, did some shit on the stock market, tried to... What? Yes. Tried to escape a couple of times, like rerouted some gas to his cell to like make it explode, but it ended up like blowing up with him in there. And some people say it was an attempt to take his own life, but no, like I think he just fucked up. Yeah. He was like for three years trying to Shawshank his way out of there, but eventually after 41 years in solitary confinement in 1971, he was allowed to go to this general population. I don't know why I said this general population like I it was have no idea. never heard of, but like while he was there, he would always introduce himself like, I'm Jesse Pomeroy, because he wanted people to know he, uh-huh. he was famous, uh-huh. or infamous at least, and especially yeah. in his mind. And it was like, as like the younger prisoners came in, they didn't know who he was, and he was like, meh, <laughs> sad, they don't know who I am. Yeah. Well, as his health deteriorated, when he was 71 in 1928, he rode in a car for the first time and went to this Bridgewater prison farm is what it was called, so that he could get some medical care. And he ended up dying two years later of a heart attack. Wow. They talked about how stoic he was about everything. Like, nothing excited him. Even his first car ride. Like, literally never been in a car because they were invented while you were in prison. And he's like, 
meh, you know? Yeah, because that's his fucking personality. Yeah. Now, when he was in the reform school, I forgot to say this, you know, he was minding his P's and Q's and not getting in trouble Mm -hmm. and all the things, but that he would press the other boys in the school to, like, tell their bad deeds and, Uh like, give all the details and all that so he could, like, live vicariously Uh through them. While he was in prison, he wrote an autobiography, and that was one of the references for this, so you can go to our website and get the link to that. It's, like, Murderpedia had it, so you can, like, click through Murderpedia for it. And he wrote a bunch of, like, poetry and all that while he was in there that was, like, published and... I know. But a 12-year-old. A 12-year-old doing stuff that an adult doing would fucking shock the shit out of you. Yeah. And this is a 12-year-old. And it's just so interesting that his attacks were so similar to how he was beaten as a child. Oh, I hate him. What if he killed his dad? Literally, there's nothing ever to even... That could happen. That's why the mom's like covered up for him too. Yeah, because he protected her or something, Uh you know, protected him and his brother. I don't know. But I'm just thinking like, what if he did that, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, his escalation and then the age ranges. Right. Some of them were so young. So young. Also, like, I'm so glad they didn't find him criminally insane because I would be like, no, that time that he was in the reform school shows that he can control himself and all of that. Mm -hmm. So he's not criminally insane. Oh, he 100% knows what's Uh right and wrong. Oh, God. Because again, he is a manipulator because of how you always say like, they got out early on good behavior and it's like, well, yeah, they want to. So they're not going to be terrible people. And again, you're giving them structure. You're giving them these rules. You're giving them every tool. All they got to do is show up and eat and go to sleep. Well, clearly his reform was not reformed. No. Nor could it have been. The brutality exactly. of everything. Only place to go from that is murder. And that's yeah. exactly what happened six weeks after he yeah. got Six fucking weeks. What's so scary is it was totally random. All of his people were random because he didn't care about them. A means to an end for mm-hmm. him. Gosh. Well, hopefully your story's a little fucking lighter. Thank you, Mimi, but shish. Uh, oh, Mimi, God is good on I this told one. you, like, this is a serial killer, not your favorite, but it's a good one. Yeah. So frustrating and so sad. Yeah, it was. it's a heavy story. Yeah. Okay, so I saw an episode of Haunting in the Heartland, and it focused on a haunted house in Mississippi. Okay. Right? So I had to cover it. It's episode three, Descent into Madness. So we're going to Holly Springs, Mississippi, and it is small town at its finest. Just under 7,600 residents. But there's lots of tourists that come through because they're on the Blues Trail since it's in the northern part of the state. It's an old town, and so a lot of the people say the town has a haunted history. There's something eerie about the place at night, and some residents say it's like you're being watched in certain parts. But Stacy Humphreys and her hubby, Jimmy Smith, did not know any of this when they decided to move to Holly Springs. Like most of us, Stacy clicked on a Facebook ad that had a house on it that was pretty cheap. Like, it was under $80,000. And they were both looking for a change of scenery. So, it wasn't the first time that Stacy had seen the ad, but she ignored it many times before then because she had never been to Mississippi and they had their sights set on Missouri. And they were currently living in Arizona, so nothing in here said Mississippi. I mean, did like Casper travel through the the damn TV wire to go show her the ad? How'd she get that ad? (laughs) Right, right. But one day she finally clicked on the house because it was an antebellum style home like they had wanted. And well, the rest... 
as they say, is history. They couldn't believe that this home that looked so charming and priced beyond reasonable could be anything other than their dream home. Then to top it off, Stacy found a home down the street for her mom. So that pretty much sealed the deal. Now there was one thing about the ad that might make people a little leery of the property, but Stacy and Jim just laughed it off. There was a comment left by a woman named Charlotte Nairmore. She said that she had grown up in the house and that her uncle even did some of the remodeling. Her grandmother had to sell the house in the early 1990s because she couldn't take care of it anymore because she was up in age. So normal comment, right? Until the end, Charlotte said, quote, beautiful home, but it does have a living ghost. We all fondly called Beulah. Like I said, they laughed it off and was like, for that great price, we'll deal with the ghost. Little did they know. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, Stacy was curious about the house and wanted more information on it. So she reached out to Charlotte. And that's when Charlotte told Stacy about the ghost even more. The reason why they called the ghost Beulah is because that was a real woman who had lived in the house. Her name was Beulah Cawthon, and she lived there with her family in the early 1900s. In 1919, her family had Beulah committed to the Mississippi State Insane Asylum. She was diagnosed with what we now know as bipolar disorder. She was just 25 years old. While she was at the asylum, she showed progress, and everyone thought she was fit enough to return home after a few months. But when she did, her parents woke up around midnight one night to find Beulah standing over their bed with a hatchet in her hand. Oh, shit. And because they were scared for their lives, they committed her again on August 29th, 1920. She stayed there until she was transferred to another place called East Mississippi State Hospital, and she remained there until she passed away in 1968. And what's really sad is that it was just two years before the FDA approved the drug uh, lithium as treatment for bipolar disorder. Beulah's brother had her body returned to Holly Springs, and she was buried in the family plot in a local cemetery. Charlotte also told about her experiences there at the house. She said that they would see doors open and close by themselves, chandeliers sway without a breeze, and other sounds that seemed to come from nowhere. Charlotte did say that there was one night that she heard what she believed to be boots with the spurs on them. (laughs) I I know, I know. (laughs) And so she believes that it wasn't only Beulah in the house because those boots could belong to a Confederate soldier because during the war, there were like raids and stuff in that city. Remember the uncle who did a lot of the remodel? Well, when Charlotte was around 17, her uncle Billy, he decided that he wanted to know some answers as to what was going on. And so he gathered his two siblings and Charlotte and they all did a seance. Nothing really happened during the seance, but Charlotte said after it did seem like the noises ramped up, doors started to slam and the spirit just seemed angrier. Oh, Uncle Billy, what'd you do? I know. Charlotte also had an experience in 1968 when she was sleeping and she said that she felt someone forcibly grab her by the arm and so she yelled out. Well, when the family came in to see what she was screaming about, they saw that there was a handprint on her arm. One of her cousins had his covers lifted up by an unseen entity and another was also touched by the ghost. Charlotte concluded that when her grandmother finally moved out of the house, the wallpaper literally fell off the wall. 
So Stacy listened to the stories and had empathy for what Charlotte said and what her family went through, but she just really didn't believe any of it. Or if she believed it, she wasn't worried about it happening to her family. Hell, it was 2018 or so at this point. So the home is known as Linden Hill, which the same commenter, Charlotte, said that it was because the house was flanked by two linden trees. Oh, cool. Because, you know, I definitely know what those are. (laughs) Right. Also, you know, it's a fancy house when it has a fucking name to it. And it's flanked by trees. (laughs) Barely know what the word flank means. (laughs) At the time of the episode, they lived in the house for about a year and a half and the activity didn't take any time getting started because Stacy and her mom went down before the entire family did so they could get the place ready for moving, you know, doing the painting, all the things. They didn't even have any furniture, so they both slept on the blow-up mattress. Look, I love a blow-up mattress because that is some comfortable sleeping if you get the taller Uh -uh. kind. You know, you can't get the thin kind. You got to get the taller kind that's sort of kind of bed height. Even that, no. But... Let me tell you, this is the trick. You have to put blankets underneath your sheet. Because if you don't, that is like sleeping on a waterbed without a heater. That shit is iceberg fucking cold. I have to put like three blankets underneath my fitted sheet. You're so weird. That makes no sense. Who likes a fucking air mattress? No, no, no. I love an air mattress. What can I say? No. I sleep on my stomach too. And so... Oh, God. Yeah, that makes my back hurt just thinking about it. (laughs) Well, apparently they didn't mind sleeping on the mattress. Maybe they had Carrie's trick, maybe not. But Stacy's mom was woken up in the middle of the night to what sounded like multiple men banging around in the back of the house. A group of men walking, just like making noise. But also, like, she didn't get up to check or anything. She didn't, like, wake Stacy up or anything like that. So I feel like it just stopped. And so she was like, that was weird. I'm going back to bed. Then Stacy was made a believer the second night they spent in their home because around 2.30 a.m., she woke up to the sound of a soft moan or cry. And she was like, wait, is that a woman? Or maybe that's just a raccoon. But she didn't know which one was scarier. So she was like, just go to bed. But she later heard what she described as two wrought iron chairs being dragged on the tile floor and she smelled something like castor oil. So she told one of her daughters and they told her to use sage and bless the house, which she did. So she doesn't believe, but she believes just enough to uh, bless her house with sage. Yes. I feel like she's you. I could see that. Yeah. Because you're like, okay, okay. And then like two things kind of happen and you're like, maybe. uh, Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it wouldn't hurt, right? Well, before Stacy and her mom left for the airport, Stacy wrote a note to Beulah and she just let her know that she was leaving for a bit, but would be back with her family. And she said she did this out of respect. And also she was so scared that Beulah would wreck the house and ruin all the work that they had just done. Well, it wasn't wrecked, but they did come home to find all of the pictures that were hanging that had Jimmy in them with her on her wedding day were crooked. And from that time on, strange things just happened. They didn't automatically go to paranormal causes because they tried to reason things away. Like when the TV came on by itself, they ruled that as a remote control malfunctioning or something. When the lights started to turn on by themselves at random times, they got an electrician to check the wiring and nothing was wrong with it. At one point, Jimmy yelled out and he just was like yelling to the nothingness. And he was like, if you want the lights on, you could pay the damn electric bill. And after that, they never like just flicked all the way back on. They would flicker sometimes, but not just turn on. <laughs> the ghost is like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, my bad. <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine that would be me? I was like, oh, I don't want bills. Never mind, never mind. But 
the weird things continued to happen. Like the TV again would come on by itself. Another incident was when Jimmy and Stacy were talking and the deadbolt just unlocked itself and the door opened. Stacy was like, look, you can shake this door. You can do whatever you want, but it's not just going to open. And that was something that they had no explanation for. So something about the home is that there's three front rooms that are from the original house in the 1800s. And that's where a lot of the activity occurs. Again, you know the usual lights flickering on and off, chandeliers swaying, also going on and off, and the curtains bellowing out like there's a breeze, but there isn't one. Also, they did have some windows that would open by themselves too. Stacy said that she stays out of those three rooms and it's kind of like, hey, ghost, here you go. These belong to you. Leave us be in the rest of the house, please. And that kind of brings us to the reason why they agreed to be on this show, because it was to get help for their house, because they have two sweet grandbabies in their lives who are scared of the house, and their daughters don't want anything to do with the house, so they don't get to see them as often as they'd like to. One of the daughters, Brittany, said the second she walked in the home, she felt something was off with the energy. Brittany also had an experience when she was talking to her dad in the kitchen one night, and her daughter was like on her lap. She was sitting there where they they could see the the hallway and Jimmy was talking and Brittany heard something kind of like a tick. So naturally, she just turned her head to see what made the noise. And that's when she saw a little girl in white, completely in white, run by. She said she was around three feet tall and Brittany heard a little click in the corner by the chandelier. And then there was a hat on the ground. The hat was on a wall, but it happened so fast and the ghost girl was gone. Brittany was terrified and she left shortly after that incident. And also the hat to her was validation that she wasn't just seeing something out of the corner of her eye. Like no, something went by that, like whooshed by it and made that hat fall off the wall. So after that incident, Stacy borrowed her daughter's laptop and set up a webcam to film that spot to see if she could get anything. And she did. There's two videos that you see in the episode of what is like a white pixelated mist dart across the screen. And so, okay, this gets a little sad. Great. All this episode needs more sadness. (laughs) And well, this does deal with an animal. Oh no. The family had a pit bull named King. Uh, They had him two years prior to moving into the house. Since moving into the house though, King started to act a little different. He had never really been aggressive before, but once when the family was gone, King killed one of their cats. They said that King would just growl all the time and he never did that before. Then there was one night while Stacy was taking a shower and normally King would wait by the shower while she bathes. Like most animal owners, she never got privacy. But this time, Stacy heard the water running other than her shower and so she flung the curtain open to see if something had started leaking or whatever and she saw that nothing was leaking. It was the two sinks faucets running full blast and King was nowhere close. She found him in the kitchen and he seemed to be really concentrating on something that was unseen to her. She tried to get King to come to her, but he refused to even move. And then one night, Jimmy was standing doing something and King's eyes just seemed to be dark. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he lunged at Jimmy and bit him hard in the arm and drew a lot of blood, like really ripped the skin. Hmm. And they took pictures of that, and you can see that on the episode. Well, unfortunately, after that, Stacy and Jimmy had to make the difficult decision and took him to the vet to be put down. 
But King went wild there. And so the vet had to call the sheriff's office and an officer came with a dart gun. The thought process was to calm him down and then euthanize King. But the one shot that would normally take didn't work. They ended up shooting King with a dart gun four times and he still wasn't going down. In the long run, he did and they did euthanize him. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. They believe that King was possessed by something. They had him cremated and when they brought him home, they heard a growl like that had been there before, you know, with him. And so they were like, that was something that was inside King. It wasn't King. That's part of their story. So I wanted to include it. I wish you hadn't. I know. I like can't even process that dog story. No, I just am like, it's there so has hard. to be another way. On the other hand, that's like literally one of the hardest decisions you ever have to make. So I'm not trying to make them feel guilty about what was already so difficult, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, on the show, she was really crying talking about it. Oh, and stuff. bless it. Yeah. So on the first night of the investigation, the host of the show, Steve Shippey, he wanted to see if he could get a lead on how many spirits there really were there. So he had all the gadgets and gizmos aplenty. And the one that really started working for him was the REM pod. And it went off when he was doing a baseline EVP session. And it seemed to communicate with him through that REM pod. He asked if it was Beulah to please approach it and it immediately went off. He also asked if there were others in the house and it went off again. Then there was another little gadget he had in another room and it was a music box. And if there's movement close to it, the music box would go off. Well, it had been quiet while he was doing all of this, but then all of a sudden it started going off. Well, so he goes in there to check it and the music box continued going off. So Jamie, one of the crew members, scanned the room with an SLS cam the one with the little stick figures that appear. And there was an anomaly right by Steve. He asked if there was a spirit there to please touch his hand. And he felt it touch. And at the same time, the SLS cam showed the spirit moved closer and it looked like it reached out and touched him. Steve said after that, he kind of got a bad feeling about everything. And then the music box stopped and the SLS wasn't detecting anything anymore. So it just really seemed to validate what was going on. So after that, Steve wanted to review something from his EVP session because he said it sounded like there was a two-syllable word that answered his question about what is your purpose. And after reviewing it, he believed it said seance. Now remember, Charlotte said her Uncle Billy had conducted one. Billy. (laughs) So the next day, Steve went and met with Charlotte, actually. And she told him that it was common knowledge that the house was haunted when they were growing up. Like, you know, neighborhood kids, everyone knew. Oh, yeah, Beulah's like, that's her house. And she also said that people had purchased the house before Stacy and Jimmy, but they usually only lasted no more than a couple of days or some had lasted a few weeks before they sold the property again because it was so active. Steve asked her, like, do you think there's multiple spirits in the house? You know, she told him about the seance and everything. And she was like, you know, this town has really seen tragedy. There was a yellow fever outbreak in 1878 that sadly claimed so many lives. 
So Steve went to meet with a local historian named Philip Knick, I think is how you say his last name. And he said out of 3,500 residents, about 1,500 of them left Holly Springs in just a matter of like five days when the outbreak happened. And the people who stayed were the people who were close to the poverty line, you know, didn't have the means to travel or anything like that. And for about three months, they really suffered. Entire families were wiped out due to the virus. He also described how the virus wrecked their bodies. He's quoted by saying, at this point, the yellow fever virus is attacking your inside organs, including your liver and kidneys. You'd be hemorrhaging blood and bile from every orifice of your body. Death would come very quickly, but very horribly. He went on to say that every family who was left there in Holly Springs experienced this in some way. He said that because of the number of deaths and stuff, there were not enough hearses to deliver them to the cemetery, so bodies were just laid on the courthouse lawn and left to rot. Jeez. By the end of the epidemic, Holly Springs had lost 10% of their population. So how does this really play into the house? It's directly behind the Yellow Fever Museum, and the historian said back then, the family living in that house would have been very affected by the Yellow Fever due to the location. As in they would have gotten Yellow Fever or just like emotionally affected? Uh, Like they would have had Yellow Fever in that house. Gotcha. Also, if there were spirits from the Yellow Fever epidemic, think about how that affected Beulah. A psychiatrist Steve talked to believes that Beulah had bipolar 1, and according to her, it is way harder to treat than bipolar 2, and there's lots of paranoia, the person is very hyperverbal, they deal with insomnia, and so if Beulah saw the spirits, it would only worsen the symptoms she already had. Also, remember how I said that Stacy wrote that letter to Beulah, and she tried to show her respect? Well, her and her whole family try to be as respectful to Beulah as they can. They even visit her grave every month and leave a rose on the gravestone. Stacy said that, you know, she often wonders if she was abused or anything just because of how she tried to kill her parents. And she said that she just thinks about how Beulah spent her whole life basically locked away from society. And it just makes her sad. And she hopes that Beulah knows that they do empathize with her situation and they hope they can bring her some peace. But Steve said that he believes the yellow fever spirits really tormented Beulah during her life. And now they're still here doing it after death. And Steve said that it might have been Beulah who made King attack Jimmy because she saw him as her father. And if she was having these delusions that made her want to attack her dad. So that could have just been like, I don't know, residual. I I don't know. So even though Beulah isn't an evil spirit, Steve believes that they should try to get all the spirits to cross over. And Stacy and Jimmy agreed. So they did another session with the REM pod and they got more answers. Stacy asked if there are any yellow fever victims there and it beeped. And then Steve asked if Beulah was afraid and it beeped and lit up again. So Steve and the homeowners lit sage and Stacy went around and expressed that she would be taking back those three rooms. She was no longer going to let them rule the house, that none of the spirits are welcome there any longer. They need to leave. You know, it's a place for her family now. And, you know, just trying to take back that control. 
After the cleansing, they all felt a difference in the home. But Steve didn't stop there. The next day, he had Stacy and Jim, along with other Holly Springs citizens, meet up at Hillcrest Cemetery. They memorialized the yellow fever victims there with a plaque in hopes to bring peace and closure to the community and to the unclaimed souls. And I couldn't find a follow-up from Stacy and Jimmy, but... You know, just saying that they did feel a difference after the cleansing. So I hope that all of the spirits did cross over. But that is the story of the Linden Hill House, Beulah and Stacy and Jimmy. So before we break down the good, good and the bad, bad of both of our fucking stories, <laughs> okay. let's talk about the good, good of Felix Gray. Ooh, let me talk about the good, good of those notes you hit. Y'all, we're trying to start this new year off right with our eyes. Get, with our eyes. With our, with our eyes. We're going to witter wood with you with our eyes. <laughs> so we're trying to make it to where we're not so sleepy with our eyes. We, you know, like not like insomnia, but like, you know, it makes it hard to go to sleep. It makes it hard to pay attention. Mm-hmm. It makes all the things when you have all this fucking blue light glaring in your eyes all damn day. Y'all know Donna doing podcast shit. I'm typing notes for patients. All the things. We're looking at computers, TVs, phones all the time. We really are. Oh my gosh. Even though my phone tells me that my percentage is down, I'm still looking at it a lot. Yeah, I think that's playing with you. It's trying to make you feel better about yourself. Well, we all know from last time, Donna love my word, that what makes Felix Gray glasses so different is they're like impregnated with blue light blocking technology that is actually 15 times more effective than other blue light glasses. And because it's like in the lens, it's not going to chip away and be all gross and look like you've got like a orange film on your glasses. Right. It's that tint for me. I used to have some glasses uh, back in the day when I first got my glasses in like 10th grade. And now looking back on the pictures, I totally had a tint on my glasses and no one told me. You had a lot of things going on back then. And no one told me. (gasps) Anyway, but if I had Felix Gray back in the day, I wouldn't have had those damn tints. What's so cool is that Donna's big watermelon head and my little pea head, you can still find a size that works just right for you. Yes, they're all inclusive of the heads. Yeah, they, okay, ma'am. Insert a Donna joke there. But this is how wide the frame is. Okay, this is how wide my head is. I literally pulled out the measuring tape while I was ordering these. (laughs) Also, speaking of being all-inclusive, your kids, if they need something, because hello, it is the, I don't know, the three years of online school due to COVID, they're in front of the screen all the time. So if they're like, oh, I have a headache. Oh, I have this. Yeah, get you some Felix Gray. And if you have prescription or non-prescription, it can be, hey, I want the blue light blocker. Or you're like, hey, I actually need prescription lenses that need a blue light blocker. Either way, Felix Gray is for you. So check them out. FelixGrayGlasses.com slash creep. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y Glasses.com slash creep. C-R-E-E-P. Look, you're going to get free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. We all know if it's free, it's for me. So head on over. FelixGrayGlasses.com slash creep. All I have to say is... Stacy's mom is oh, God. God. <laughs> oh, I have been thinking that this whole fucking story because you literally said Stacy's mom at one point and I was like, don't say it, don't say it, don't I know, say it. I know. Well, I told Carrie, I almost had a Paula Gertrude moment because for some reason I wanted to call her Lisa Humphreys. I don't know who that is. So I had to go back and change her name and then it had changed from Lisa to Stacy. And so it says Stacy's mom and I was like, Donna, seriously? I don't know where Lisa came from, but yes. Yeah, 
she was haunting me. So my story definitely had sad parts. Oh my God, one of the fucking saddest. But nowhere near as sad as your fucking story. It just, as my dad says, shows to go, yeah. <laughs> that like truly evil can exist like no matter the age, no matter who you think somebody is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Jesse was so young and his mom was like, no, 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 he's not mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah. I feel like she thought she was helping him out, but no, you're only enabling the monster inside of him. Yeah, I was going to say, but at what cost? Yeah. The lives of two other people. Yeah. And really the lives of all of his victims because they're impacted and fucking were tortured. He took two lives. Fuck you, Jesse. For sure. Jesse? Every time you did that, I was like, Jesse? The executive assistant at my grad school, for some reason, for like the first, I don't know, like month or two, I don't even know how long, she thought my name was Jesse. So my two BFFs in grad school would always go, Jesse? Like, that's what they would call me. <laughs> that's a Geico commercial if you don't have a clue what we're fucking talking about. <laughs> because the it's like a horse and, I don't know, a cowgirl, cowboy, I mean, and he rides off and he goes, Jesse? Yeah, Jesse? <laughs> well, that Jesse was pure evil. You're a sour patch kind of evil. What the hell? <laughs> oh, I get it now. <laughs> I don't understand why you were putting the two together. Oh, my God. Sometimes I'm a fucking dodo bird. <laughs> Like, I legit was like, why is she comparing me to that? Okay. God. Oh, oh God. Literally two seconds ago. I know this is like the second time that we've been like in person recording again. And I really missed it. Like, I get people who have to do it because of distance, but I'm a needy bitch and I need to be next to you. So all of your annoyances really get on my nerves. Okay, ma'am, I went to the dollar store and bought you candy. That's why you want to be next to me. True. Well, I had to say, will you get me some? I was going to get you some. Uh And literally everything I pulled off the shelf, I was like, oh, she's not going to eat that. She's not going to eat that. I told her just a regular candy bar. I got all the things. (laughs) I literally spent so much money on total. I spent like $36 at the dollar store. Well, the dollar general, not like the dollar tree. But a solid 15 of that was on candy. What all did you get that you're not showing me then? Gummy bears. Oh. Reese's Pieces. You don't eat those. No. Mm-mm. That's all I can think of right now. <laughs> have y'all had a sweet tooth? Because I sure have. Everything has to end with dessert. Also, have y'all had headaches? So these are all my ailments. Have y'all had them too? Because I've had a headache and I've had a sweet tooth. Look, I think everybody's tired of our ailments. <laughs> we are finally on the... The upswing. Yeah, thank you. I could not think of words. Whew, yeah. This episode did me in, I think. It was so emotionally draining. There was a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> Mostly downs in my story. You are so dramatic. She has her hand on her forehead. I do. And I'm not, it's not coming down. I think it's stuck. <laughs> well, hopefully y'all are stuck on us. Thank y'all for... My transitions are getting so terrible. I mean, not that they were ever good. Again? But okay. Staying. Thank y'all so much for listening. We hope that y'all are loving all these episodes. And if you want all the bonus content, remember, go to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. But more importantly... Remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.